Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sanderlanch podcast. This week, we are covering the Hero of Ages, chapters 32, 33, 34, Oxford, comma, and 35, wherein Ellen meets up with an old friend at the ball and then confronts Yeoman. Tensoon escapes, finally. We're like almost 40% through the, of the way through the book. It was time for Tensoon to get out of there. We, we catch up with Marsh for just a minute. And then Spook catches up with our old friend, Dern. So I am Data, and with me is... Jamie. It's Joe. And Dak. So hang on to something, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. As the tiles of steel and stone crumble to dust The foundations of our hope begin to rust Choking fear, screaming sound As a reaper comes to ground You turn to face it down because you must And when the world is starts to Seriously, almost Music, yeah. like 40, 40% the way through? Uh, let's see. I, am, I think. No, I am at the beginning of the first chapter. We are 38% of the way through. Oh, what does my Kindle say? Hold on. Kindle says 42% at the end. Yeah, at the end of the four chapters, I believe that would be 42%. That would make sense. Okay. Huh. We've, uh... You sound disappointed? <laughs> oh, it's just, I don't feel like we are, and like I'm sort of having... I'm just remembering, like, the Well of Ascension. We got a fair way through the book before shit really started happening. I'm like, all right, I know there's the whole Sandalanch thing where every, everything happens at the end, but I'm just like, okay, we started out, like, really moving this book at a, at a serious pace. I'm like, has it really slowed down that much? Because I feel like it has been a lot of build-up in the last few chapters that we've done, the last few episodes. So I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, it's been definitely, we've been talking about how it's kind of, like, setting stuff up the last few episodes. But at the same time, I don't feel like it's been that long since there was action and interesting stuff. So it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as draggy in the middle as uh, Well of Ascension did. I feel like. Oh, that's definitely true. But uh, like, but like, ultimately, I'm just like, do I feel like we're almost halfway through the book? No, not really. <laughs> Take from that what you will. It's kind of like in King Killer Chronicle, where you're like, we're now two thirds of the way through this whole story, and I don't feel like we could be two thirds of the way through this whole story. Like, he hasn't even been expelled yet. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, four chapters again this week, and stuff is happening, stuff is going on. So what did you guys think of these four chapters? I really liked them. I was really glad that we got a little bit of everybody again this week. It's been a while, I think. Well, it's definitely been a while since we caught up with Tensoon, so I'm, I'm pleased that he's making a run for it, and that part of the story will, will progress now, which is really cool. I I actually really loved the scene with Vin and Ellen this week. I get sometimes a little bit like, uh, more married people discussions. They're all talking about work and like that would <laughs> suck working with the person you're married to. You can't separate the two, but I really liked their little moment on the dance floor and I was like, oh, that's really cute. I found myself getting a little emotional about it. And yeah, Spook and Dern, interesting to see where that goes. Who else did we catch up with? Marsh. Oh, uh, I don't like scary Marsh. I, I I just, I, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's seeing the the beauty in the in the ruin and the destruction. It just it makes me a bit sad. But at least they sort of addressed it. But otherwise, I thought they were really good chapters, even though we didn't have anything too crazy happen. Um, yeah, it was nice to sort of just check in with everybody and see what everyone's up to. I guess some crazy stuff happened in Marsh's chapter, but it's not like a crazy that affects the rest of the story as much. Well, it doesn't but. now, but I feel like it, it probably will, you know, knowing, I guess, knowing now how much, like the, with the volcano at the end, like Marsh knew that was coming. That's not just a freak natural thing. This is this is definitely ruin that's doing this, which is a bit scary. Like, that. I mean, I, I guess we already knew he had that much, or ruin had that much control over it, but to actually see it play out that way. He's like, yeah, this is the least of your problems. Don't worry about food. We just got to sort this out first. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not it's not affecting everyone right now. And I'm mean, sure it will affect Ellen. Like this is a, an area that's under his, his leadership, so he will know about it. And, you know, not necessarily that Marsh was involved and Ruin was there and stuff, but the fact that it's progressing and the volcanoes are going to go off and it's like we should probably move everyone out of these areas. Yeah, okay. interesting to see what that does to his trajectory, I guess, through the book. Volcanoes can't be good, right, to, uh, when they start exploding, so. Well, uh, no. Uh, and I, I like what you pointed out, because it's about, like, Vin and Ellen, because they're, they're usually so preoccupied with, you know, all the crap going on in the world, it's it's fun to see them get a moment of, like, oh, you two are a cute couple when you get to be just Vin and Ellen. Yeah. That was really nice. I... Also liked the fact that we caught up with people we haven't seen in a while, Tensoon and Marsh. It's cool to see what they're up to. We learned, got a bit more about hemallergy this time around, so that was cool with, Mar- with Marsh off doing his stuff. The conversation with Yeoman was really interesting. I liked seeing how his character played out, and it's like, while he's very clearly aligned against our heroes and that ain't going to change, I, can under- I could see his view, I can understand his view. I'm like, all right, I sort of get you, and I can't really argue with some of what you're saying so that was a really cool uh little wrap up there like finally culminating in seeing this guy yeah probably it's probably not the most exciting thing in these chapters but like how you can't really beat one tensor and finally doing his dog out of hell act <laughs> uh and then marsh walk just like doing the whole cool guys don't look at explosions as a volcano <laughs> goes off behind him and he's like there it is that's true. I now now you got me picturing it. He's just like, yep, strolling away, not looking. At... Yeah, yeah. Marsh's thing is like a total Bond villain moment where he's just walking away from the place as it blows up, and he's just like, suckers, <laughs> foolish people worrying about food. Yeah, but I like Yeoman in that he's once again a different kind of bad guy from any of the other ones we've had so far, and he's weirdly reminiscent of, like, Elland, which you can tell when they get into their conversation, and they're both, they both read these philosophers and stuff that Ellen wanted to create his government based on. And so it's weird that a guy who's got, like, kind of similarities to Elland in the way that he thinks and does stuff, and uh, that that guy and Elland would get along so badly. Yeah, it's, it's sort of... The impression I got with, like... People can debate whether or not this is accurate uh, on the Discord. It sort of reminded me of the end of X-Men First Class, where Magneto is, like, next to Sebastian Shaw, and Shaw is pinned by Professor X, and Magneto just, like, looks at him and goes, look, for what it's worth, I think you're right. You killed my mother, so... And then he just, (laughs) like... It's like, look, we have a very similar ideology, but you did this, and I will never forgive that. So... Yeah, yeah, I, I... I got that impression out of him. I thought, oh, this is this is cool. I like this guy. 
Some and at people... the end of the day, I guess Ellen did disrupt, or Ellen and Vin did disrupt what they had. And he's yep. just trying to do the best he can for his people and go like, well, you know, you've left us with no government. This is this is what we've put together and we're making it work. And everyone seems to be somewhat happy with it. So why yeah. fix what ain't broke? Yeah, it's like, um, don't, don't, like we, we have managed to get some sort of stability. How dare you come and try and take it away from us? Yeah. And so yeah, even though they like fundamentally their views seem to line up, it's like, yes, we all want the same thing. I absolutely agree with you. We cannot work together. <laughs> like, it's, it's a really sticky situation <laughs> for them to be in. But also just some people, they find it hard to forgive you when you kill their god. Yeah. So the first chapter, I here's the thing. I wrote all of my notes down, and then I think Kelsey threw away my notes. Uh, oh. So it's okay. I'm just going to – I'm going off memory here. First chapter uh, was kind of lovey-dovey, which I think Jamie mentioned, which, you know, wasn't bad. But it also was just – different i don't feel like he does a lot of that stuff in these books so it was it was definitely different the yeoman conversation aggravate me aggravated me because you you'd think a guy like yeoman would get along with ellen and then they don't and you're just like oh this kind of sucks because i mean ellen is like 100 percent right here it's like look it's gonna be better if we just work together and yeoman's like no um yeah so that was that was obnoxious and then tencent stuff is always awesome so cool. Uh, I wish the whole book was just about Tencent. And uh, Spook stuff was meh. I mean, he acts all tough, goes into Dern, kicks down the door and stuff. So that was all right. Yeah, and the Marsh stuff was just kind of sad and creepy. So, um, yeah, it's still, I think we talked about this, still a lot of setup going on here, but still good chapters. Not uh, not anything to write home about, but also definitely worth a read. Fair enough. I guess, I guess let's get into these four chapters this week. The first one, the first uh, epigraph we have is about allomancy and how it's obviously of preservation. The rational mind will see this. And so the power for allomancy is pr- is provided by an external source, preservation's own body. Hmm. So I feel like rationally that kind of made some sense. But then you've also got Tensoon in the last book that was like, you are of ruin. Right, right. So, yeah, I don't know. I think we need a bit of clarity on this like in, in all of these epigraphs it, it sort of it makes sense it's logical but not everyone believes that so much and i don't i don't know that it's going to be as clear cut as you are of one or of you are of the other like yeah i mean it seems like all people can you know they can be preservation-y or ruiny so it's hard to believe that they could be fully of one or the other uh, if they're mm. if they're if if they are by nature of either one i guess yeah so I guess humans could be like unrelated, but the this power is from preservation. True, yeah. I hadn't thought about mm. it that way. Yeah. It's definitely forming some things. I mean, this goes along with what I predicted earlier in the book, or maybe it was at the end of the last book. I don't remember. But um I feel like some of what I said seems to track here, at least with what the ep- uh, epigraph writer's saying. I don't really know I don't know. I feel like the more information I get, the less I trust the information, which probably isn't a good sign. Um, <laughs> so. I mean, we don't exactly have a great track record with being able, right. being able to trust what the epigraphs. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> like, well, damn you, birdie bots! Why is there a soap flavored jelly bean? That's gross. Because <laughs> it's birdie Ew. bots. That's the entire point of birdie bots. Yeah, you're right. That's that's why I don't eat them. I don't need vomit flavored jelly beans in my life. Yeah, what do we got? We got ear earthworm, earwax, dirt. 
Nope, nope, nope. Booger. I also have Harry Potter jelly slugs, which look pretty good. Okay, if you say so. I mean, it's basically yeah. a gummy candy that's shaped like a slug. Uh, okay, okay. And flavored like a slug? Yeah, this uh, this section of the podcast brought to you by Harry Potter candy. <laughs> okay, so we go into the chapter, and the first thing is Ellen meets his old friend Teldon. I don't know if you guys remember Teldon from the first book. He's one of the dudes who sat around chatting with Ellen. Like, I remember the dudes who sat around chatting. Obviously, I remember Jastis because he yep. was kind of a big thing. But beyond Jastis, I'm just like, I don't really remember any of their names. So, yeah. In my mind, I think there are there were two other guys other than Jastis. One of them was Teldon, and then there was, like, one other guy. And I think that other guy dies in the first book. Like, his family gets attacked as they're leaving the city or something like that. I may be misremembering, but I think so. So this, these two are the only ones left of their club, if I'm right. And it's just like a super awkward high school reunion. It's like, hey, man, haven't seen you in years. Yeah. How you doing? Oh, you know, <laughs> trying to save the world, be an emperor. Yeah. Heard you were kind of a dick. Oh, well, you know, it's uh, it's all about perspective, I guess. Yeah. I mean, one of the first things he says is like, I, I didn't believe that you actually managed to seize power. And Ellen's like, but you were there at my coronation. He's like, well, yeah, but I mean, come on, come on. No one had faith in Ellen. But it was fine. You know, he just had to learn some I mean, king lessons. I mean, in fairness, I don't think we really did either. No, uh, not at all. <laughs> yeah, still not sure on him, honestly. <laughs> and then I like Tom's like, you're not, you're not actually gonna attack the city, right? He's like, no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna conquer it if I have to. <laughs> I like how his friends like, but dude, I, dude, I live here. <laughs> like, man, come on. But Ellen has some good points where, he, like, the, his friend Teldon is like, so you're basically the Lord Ruler now, then? And I was like, no, look, I've, we set up these parliamentary councils in all the cities that are in the Empire. I want to let the people rule themselves. It's just I've learned that they need a little something. It's it's too long after a thousand years of uh, God Emperor to not have somebody in charge at this point. They, they need some transition time. Like, this whole conversation is basically just Ellen telling this guy what people had to tell Ellen in the last book. This is showing yep. that Ellen is just totally on board with that now. Yep. Even their names are fairly similar. It's true. I wouldn't want this guy to be around a lot because saying Teldon and Ellen is, like, it just, it would start yeah. to get mixed up in my tongue. <laughs> yeah, it's like the thousand Megans I had in my class or the million Jessicas <laughs> I've known in my life. Yeah. Uh, and then Teldon's like, well, I'm hurt you didn't invite me to your wedding, dude. Like, I was giving you relationship advice for years, and finally you nail a girl, and uh, I'm not invited? What's up with this? Did he really say you nail a girl? Because that seems really dirty. <laughs> no, yeah, I said that, and then I was like, that was a bad wording of that. Um, <laughs> I uh, Landed, maybe? If, that doesn't if sound so, this, guy, this, this guy apparently was a womanizer, so... <laughs> yeah, that might be... He might have said that. I should not have. That wasn't a good wording on my part. But yeah. that's the first thing that popped out. Anyways... So well, in fairness to Ellen, Ellen didn't even know he was invited to his own wedding. Nope. All yeah. of a sudden, <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he's telling the story and he's like, and suddenly I was married. <laughs> yeah. She was like bleeding my... from being stabbed by my brother. Who she killed. Who she yeah. killed. Yeah, exactly. It was a weird night. <laughs> no, no joke. And I like Teldon is just like, I always thought that you're just going to like wander off into a library and disappear for 20 years at some point, which, yeah, I could see that. It was like he said, I feel like a uh, like a proud parent. And Ellen's just like, well, you know, I don't have any of those left. So if you want. (laughs) 
No, that just means that Vin will kill him. You, you, you don't need that. <laughs> oh, third time's a charm, right? All right, sure. Well, yeah, she didn't kill his mom, as far as we know, so. Yeah. And then at, at some point, Ellen's just like, okay, it's time for me to go talk to you, uh, Yeoman. I'll see you later, dude. And as he walks away, he's thinking, like, I didn't tell him that I killed our good friend Jastes. I wonder if he knew. Because that wouldn't be an awkward conversation. So, yeah, I killed Jastes. Why? Well, he threatened my city with a Koloss army. <laughs> uh... Yeah, no, that's awkward. And so, yeah, he goes uh, he goes up to Yeoman, and they get into a conversation. And it's it says it in the text, but it's just amazing how quickly Ellen falls back on this being just, like, insouciant maybe the right word he's he's just obnoxious talking yeah. to yeoman for no reason really did you forget all your diplomacy le- lessons yeah <laughs> you know he's back in his old well not his old stomping grounds but you know it's 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 like coming home after you've changed a lot from being an adult and then you like fall back into your old accent he's just falling back into his old like being a shit shit heel <laughs> to people <laughs> It's like, I'm terribly rude. Bad breeding would be my guess. Yeah, I could buy that. We've met his family. And he tries to come back from it a couple times where the yeoman's like, oh, you think this is a game? He's like, no, this isn't a game. This is really serious. I'm just trying to do the best we can. And then uh, he immediately comes back and insults the guy by being like, you know, you can't hate me because of my good looks. Although compared to your face, anybody would be good looking. It's like, really, dude? Seriously? (laughs) And Yoma's just like, how did you end up at the table of negotiation? And it's like, yeah, that's a good question. Mm. I did like his answer, though. Yeah, yeah. Trained by a surly misborn and a sarcastic terrorist and a group of disrespectful thieves. And I was already insufferable, insufferable, can't talk, to begin with. But kindly continue with your insult. I didn't mean to interrupt. It's, that's a good one. Yeah. And Yeoman has some good points where he's, he's, he's like, I hate you because you're a hypocrite. Like, you claim to want this, this, like, form of government, and then when the people chose First and Penrod as their king over you, then you just overthrew them. And it's like, okay, well, it wasn't that simple, but at the same time, yeah, no, that guy kind of did that thing. And when he tries to talk his way out of that, Yoram is just like, okay, so there's a flaw in the system that who set up? Oh, you. Uh, but even then, he immediately goes into what I think is the real heart of his whole stance here. Is He's like, yeah, the system that you set up, the one that replaced... The one that had been in place for a thousand years and worked perfectly, he's really mad because the Lord Ruler got overthrown and his part in the government has been, like, completely overturned. Presumably he was an important guy in the government as a high-ranking obligator or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, the steel ministry doesn't mean anything anymore. Only a man chosen by the Lord Ruler has claim on authority. And then I, I like the very philosophical discussion they get into about the different people who wrote these various things. And Yeoman's like, no, that that one guy was a heretic. And Ellen's like, yeah, but does that make his theories invalid? It's like, no, it shows that he was stupid because otherwise he wouldn't have gotten himself executed. <laughs> it's a very uh, goodwill hunting bar scene here. It kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, now you're going to start talking about so-and-so. And I know you don't really know because that's all you've been reading. And next you're going to do this. And, you know, it's very goodwill hunting. Do you like Adium? I, I found the cash. <laughs> like How do you like that, them Adiums? Oh, yeah, we didn't mention that. The yeoman, the king, is sitting there with, like, a bead of adium dangling over his forehead. Yeah. I don't like the sound of them, ad- them adiums, Will. What are we going to do? <laughs> Ellen? Yeah? It's hunting season. It's season. Oh, gosh. Applesauce, bitch. <laughs> adium sauce? No, no, that didn't work. But, uh, yeah, Ellen, at, at the end, tries to be earnest and make it. He's like, look, 
just let's make a deal. I don't want to have to, I don't want this to turn into like a fight. I want us to be able to work together to save the as many people as possible. And Yeoman's like, yeah, we don't you can't intimidate, bribe, or influence me. Some men can't be intimidated. Some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> Ellen comes back with another, like, because Yeoman's like, if you hadn't marched, like, an army up to my city, then maybe we could have talked. And Ellen's like, well, before I marched the army up to the city, I sent a bunch of messengers, and you refused to see any of them. And Yeoman's just like, oh, well, pff, whatever. And that's where Ellen kind of reaches out and uh, takes a risk here, and he's like, I'm going to be straight with you. I just, we we need to know about what's in the storage cavern. We need to know what the Lord Ruler left to help us survive. That's why, that's the reason we're here. And he can tell that Yeoman knows what he's talking about, but Yeoman turns back, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Yeoman comes down with, he's like, you're making another mistake. I don't care if you attack us. It would be better for my people to fight and die than to be ruled by the man who overthrew our God and destroyed our religion. So... If he's serious about that, I think that makes him kind of a religious zealot, which is maybe not what you want in a, a king necessarily. But it, all, it also could just be an excuse that he's using. I don't know. I feel like Yeoman has a bit more integrity than some of the other human villains of the series so far. Mm, I'm not going to disagree with that from what we've seen. I mean, if we're comparing him to Straff or Set or something, then it's the yeah. high bar. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, low bar still. And then you, uh, they're like, okay, that's how it's got to be. And Yeoman says, I can expect an attack in the morning then. And Ellen's like, no, no, your people aren't starving yet. I'll get back to you in a few months. And then we get the scene. He comes up while Vince with her new posse. And he's like, excuse me, ladies, I am super rude. So I'm going to take my wife and monopolize her. And uh, she realizes he's leading her to the dance floor. And she's like, wait, what? Seriously? Because they've never danced together. And they're going to have their first dance. It's super cute. And then he pulls out a book. <laughs> I like the line. It's like, Ellen, I'm trying to have a special moment here. I just thought it was very sweet. It's like classic reliving their meeting, even though they never danced together. But I was like, of course he pulled out a book. Like, that's, <laughs> that's pretty cute. I know it's and probably frustrating, but it's, <laughs> it's a bit and it's like He did take the time to make sure it was the same book he was reading when they first met. So, like... Yeah. He clearly put a lot of thought into it, which is kind of sweet in its own way. It's, but it's also just like, oh my god, really? <laughs> it's exactly what Vince says. That's almost romantic in a twisted, I'm going to make my wife want to kill me sort of way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good description. I like it. I think it's a cute, it's it's, it's a very ellen moment. So, and Vin's not really mad. She's kind of just like, oh my gosh, seriously? Can I it's just cute. dance with you like a normal person? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, I don't know whether to kiss you or stab you. And then they dance and they have they've got pewter and they uh, so they are extremely light on their feet and very I don't know what the word I'm looking for is actually graceful. That's the word they spin with the grace of Alamancy. And so it's it's the room grew hushed as ever. It's one of those movie moments where everyone just gets quiet and watches two people dance for some reason. And I, I was just thinking like that would you could totally translate that easily into film where everyone's just like watching these two dance in a movie about this book. But at the same time, it's hard to communicate. Oh yeah. They were able to dance extra gracefully because of their alamancy in a movie without having somebody be like, look how graceful they are. They are alamancers. Oh, maybe I just pull off some fancy, fancy tricks. Mm, yeah. Jump into the air, do some crazy spins and just something like a triple or something. <laughs> yeah. You just hear, I had, 
the time of my life. And I never felt this way before. Then they do like a cha cha thing. She jumps up into his arms. Yeah, you got to get the lift in there. Yeah, yeah, obviously. And then the band ruins it by playing Come on, Eileen. (laughs) (laughs) But then these two have a discussion, which I feel like maybe they should have had elsewhere, where it's like, by the way, there's another ball in a few weeks at the Canton of Resource hosted by Yeoman. And I bet you that's where the supply cache is hidden. We could totally go and try to sneak in. And it's like, you don't think maybe he has like a tin eye listening to you guys or something. Just it seems like maybe this isn't the best place to have this talk. Also, he's probably pissed enough that you came to this party. If you come to another <laughs> one after, like, cause you know, sure. They rock up, they have the conversation. Like he's had the conversation with Yeoman. Yeoman's like, all right, that's what you came here for. Now fuck off. And then they come back to the second one. He's like, I've already told you to fuck off. Now, now, <laughs> now I'm pissed. And they will have lost the element of surprise next time. So they, they're already going to be on edge that they're going to turn up. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like maybe it's not going to go as easy as they seem to think it will. But then they have a very dramatic exit where uh, Vin flies through the air. And then Ellen's like, thank you so much, everyone. Anyone who wants to escape the city will be allowed passage through my army. And then he flies off as well. Just mic drop. Yep. And then we cut to the next epigraph where we learn about hemallergy. So allomancy is of preservation and hemallergy is of ruin. And we find out that it takes power and gives it to somebody else, but at a reduced amount, you lose power in the transfer. And he gives us an interesting little uh, tidbit, this uh, epilogue writer, in line with Ruin's own appointed purpose, breaking down the universe into smaller and smaller pieces. So here she's telling us that Ruin, that's that's what he wants. He wants to break the universe down. He is entropy, I guess. Did you say she? No, what? No, of course not. Never happened. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I missed it too. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're just making things up. You're crazy. <laughs> uh, what would he say, Dak? What did we miss? <laughs> I have to wait um, till we listen to the recording. <laughs> when, he, when he was talking, when he was talking about the epigraph, he said, "Oh yeah, she's telling us." Oh, he's full of shit. Don't listen to him. <laughs> Actually, I'll. I'll lay it out for you. I actually said he and she at different points during uh, the discussion of that epigraph just to give equal time to both possibilities. Yeah, to be a I definitely heard a he early on. Yeah. Okay. I missed that one. (laughs) He's he's totally messing with us. Don't listen to him. Don't ever listen to him. It's working data. (laughs) Yeah. No one will suspect. Uh, Okay. Sorry. This chapter starts... It starts with the word humans, and in my brain, my my mind went to human, the coloss. And I was like, oh, man, are we talking about human again? But no. Are we getting a human perspective chapter? Human lift thing. <laughs> Small humans, not under it. That would be amazing. I would love to know what's going on in human <laughs> It's like he has all those really short, clipped passages where it doesn't use proper grammar, but then halfway through he goes in this massive philosophical discussion. It's like human contemplated humans place among stars. What is life? <laughs> what are some reason to human? It makes human. me think about the uh, that new Suicide Squad trailer where like King Shark holds up his hand. He's like, hand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's your hand. Very good. Human. Why humans so big and other people so small? Why can't Not human people. be regular human? Is human best human because human so big? Human thinks so. <laughs> There's other Coloss who are bigger than humans, so... And he, he feels like they're all human, right? So 
Those colossi yeah. are lie. Human is only human. <laughs> the only human in the whole world. Yes. Okay. Sometimes you would think, why hands so big? Other times you would think, why hands so small? <laughs> My brain's just gone to Drax in um, yeah. Yeah. one of these videos <laughs> when he's mastered the art of invisibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that's, that's exactly what I picture humans to sound like. <laughs> yeah. You're eating a – I, I can see you eating a grog nut or whatever he calls it. <laughs> no. You can't. Doing it slowly. <laughs> She's like, hi, Drax. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part when Mantis comes up and says, hi, Drax. And then I was just watching Endgame, I think, the other day. And then and uh, Thor's all sad about his family when they travel back in time. And Rocket's like, I lost, like, the only family I've ever had. Groot, Quill, the girl with the antenna. She's <laughs> like, oh, come on. Yeah. To be fair, she was the newest addition. Does Nebula count? Uh, kind of knew her. I guess. I mean, they knew her beforehand. Yeah, like he, she, he didn't yeah, lose he Nebula history. Yeah, that's true too. Okay, okay. Tensoon is um let out of his cage, and all the conjurers are staring. He says they're too orderly to be like humans, throwing things or yelling curses, but he can feel their disdain nonetheless. And uh, they they they've all got bones set uh, made of steel or glass or rock or wood. Oh, I can't wait to see that on the screen when these movies come out. Right. Crystal cool. body, huh? Seems pretty stupid, like Tencent says. Yep. But he also says that the the reaction of the crowd shows that what the second generation intended by displaying him in a cage for a month or whatever, it it worked. Everyone is just there. There's no sympathy for him now. Everyone is disgusted by the greatest criminal in Contra history. Okay, so so we go and Conpar is there. We talked about him. We've he, he he's the recurring Contra villain at this point. It's just it's always about Conpar. I, I keep getting him mixed up with Varsel. Yeah, I think he Varsel's one of the fifth generation, right? Like he's the. I think Va- Varsel was the guard. Yeah, like one of the guard guys, exactly. I think that's right. Conpar sounds like the fake judo baton trampoline game they play in Star Trek. What is Three that? C squares. Yeah, I don't know why Conpar made me think of that. Maybe I'm thinking of the Vulcan love thing. What is that Pon, one called? Ponfar. Ponfar. Yeah. yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. It does sound like Conpar. You're right. I, I hadn't made that connection until you said that, but yeah. And uh, Tensun, he's like, Conpar starts his speech, and then Tensun's like, hey, you shut up, and starts yelling stuff at the first generation. Like, how long are you going to sit there and pretend that every, all this is not happening? And we talked about before whether or not the first generation was even real up there. And this time we get a little bit of evidence in that finally one of them calls down proceed Conpar. Well, I mean, all we get is a voice. There could be a yep. second generation plant up there for all we know. It's true. Could be. But it's, it's the first evidence that we've had that there's anything going on up there. Like up till now, they've just been like silent and still. Yeah. My theory of cardboard cutouts has gone out the window. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone gasps. The first generation never spoke in the presence of lessers. Jerks. <laughs> but Tensoon was not impressed. He had seen and talked to them before they'd grown too superior to talk to anyone but the seconds. These these guys, they're apparently kind of full of themselves up there in the first generation. Jeez. And then Conpar's like, you shut up. Uh, we're going to <laughs> sentence you to the ritual, ritual imprisonment of Chan Gar. These names. It's just, that could have been another conjure. Yeah. Also, the thing I was talking about in Star Trek earlier is Anbo Jitsu. 
Oh, okay. That's another that, that I don't think there's trampolines in that one. No, you're right. There's not. Parisi Squares, I think, is the one they sit and play with, like the weird cube thing. No, that's a different thing. You're thinking of like this the one thing that they did one time, but Parisi Squares is like a big uh, athletic thing that you can get seriously injured doing because it happens to Riker when he's like young or something. Good old Parisi Squares. I don't think we. Have, I'm not sure. We may never actually see it played in the next generation. Uh, doesn't matter. What, that what, was stop, the stop Star it. Trek minute. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so easy to distract me with Star Trek, so just just, just yeah. don't do it. <laughs> I'm Bojitsu, though, man. Yeah, I'm Bojitsu. That's from the episode with, like, Riker and his dad. Yeah, they, that's what I was thinking the fight. of. They have, like, the weird batons, and they wear the helmets, and the weird, like, armor plating. And so uh, Tensun is like, no, 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 no. I, I know that you think I'm here to, like, go through judgment or whatever. That, that's not what I'm here for. And let me tell you something important that I learned while wearing these bones. Humans... If you think about it, just are not built for speed. Dogs, however, are. And the hammers fall to try to break his doggy bones and jumps and bounces off of them and runs. And while he was a scrawny human, he makes for a substantial wolfhound with that same amount of mass. So he's got some muscle going on. <laughs> I like that Tensun knocks into him and shatters Konpar's delicate crystal bones. And Konpar screamed in a very unconjure-like way. And Tenzin's like, that's what he gets. What kind of fool wears a true body made of crystal? If this was ever, if there was ever a Red 13 moment, it's here. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I get that. But he's not even, he's like, it's not even really as good as I could have done when I had that blessing of potency that I stole. But I don't have that right now. So the the jumps aren't that impressive, but they're good enough for this. Good dog. And Ten, Tenzin runs off and he thinks, farewell my home and what little honor I had left. Poor doggy. He's now Zuko but uh, in dog form. Yeah, basically. Well, and his dad didn't, you know, do anything to him. Well, I don't know. You know, the second generations are maybe kind of like the dads to the third generation. And they were assholes to him. Yeah. Uh, part. This is the beginning of part three, the broken skies. Very dramatic name. But they always kind of are. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're about to know why with the volcano. <laughs> Pharaoh Kemi is the power of balance, and of the three, only it was known to men before the conflict between preservation and ruin came to a head. You don't gain any energy, you don't lose any energy, it's just changed. And we meet up with Marsh, who is in the shadow of Mount Tyrion, which, if I remember right, is like in the very middle of the Empire. Tyrion Lannister, a mountain? That's ironic. Yep. The map real quick. The, t- the tallest mountain of them all. <laughs> so yeah in the like in the very center of the final empire is lake Tyrion, and in the center of that lake is a big island with Tyr- mount Tyrion on it it's actually pretty close to luthadel i think it's it maybe the closest one to luthadel the book says well there was didn't we have that whole talk last book because like there was a mistake about where it was located in the text yeah that's true i think that that may have been one of the ones that were, was accidentally written as being in like the southeast or whatever it's a good point but I, I think it's interesting that apparently there's like this decent sized village like living on this island out in the middle of the lake that uh, in the shadow of the Ash Mount. I also wonder how this exploding uh, volcano so close to Luthadel is going to affect them back there. We haven't really seen Luthadel Ash in Mount. this book. Ash Mount Shadow, new band, new band name I call it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we get some more of, as uh, I think Jamie pointed out, Marsh's kind of depressing perspective. As uh, he's thinking about, 
how amazing everything is. And it's like, there's a small piece of him that's still free, but that part is sleeping. So the ruin thinks he's given up. Yeah. He's got something in mind. The ashen sky became a thing of bespectacled beauty. The death of the world, a blessed event. So Marsh is showing up. He's going to one specific building for a very specific reason. And he's got some of the little metal triangle things that we saw in the first book. That apparently were once used for the Lord Ruler's ceremonies. I don't know how like little sharp triangle razor thingies are for ceremonies, but whatever. None of my business. No, you know. You're just not telling. Well, we talked about it even in the first book, like because she finds she goes into that room with the book where she, where she finds the big book on like an altar thing. And those things are in there. And at the time, I think we talked about it's like, what exactly are these things there for? We still don't know, except that Marsh uses them now to like kill some dude. He's basically using them as a shuriken. Yeah. I, like he walks up to the door and knocks on it. <laughs> OK, that's that's considerate of you considering. And a maidservant opens the door and freaks out, which, yeah, you would. That's an inquisitor. Well, also from the from the okay. from the second book, like that village that Says was in when Marsh showed up, like these people, like depending on how far out in the sticks they are, how isolated they are, they might think the inquisitors are the Lord Ruler himself. So that's true. Like open like the door and go- and God's on your doorstep. Oh fuck. Yeah, you should be concerned. I uh, I feel like these people are in their the proximity to Luthadel. Probably in my mind makes them a little less you know primitive or out in the sticks, but. You're also in the middle of a big lake, so who knows? You may not get a lot yeah. of visitors. But he finds the guy he's looking for, passed out drunk, and he's kind of pissed off about it. It's like, I came all this way, and I don't even get to kill you? Or see the surprise in his eyes when he dies? The How look of dare terror. you not be ready to give me the <laughs> satisfaction I want from killing you? <laughs> not okay. Like Briefly, Marsh considered just waiting until the guy woke up so that he could kill him <laughs> properly. Uh, but no, we, by the end of the chapter, we find out why that's not really something he can do. So he takes a spike, shoves it through the dead, or the passed out guy's heart, and then pulls it back out again. Apparently the guy was a smoker, and his use of alamancy drew Ruin's attention to him. That sucks. But we find out that hemallergy, you get the most power if you can drive the spike straight through the heart, right into the person who's getting the spike. You lose little of the alamantic ability that way. But uh, I, as long as the spike is hanging out outside a body, it's losing power, apparently. Which fits with what we just learned, like, in the previous chapter about hemallergy and how power is lost in the transfer. And when he gets outside, people are kneeling, and they're like, no, please, bring the obligators back. We're sorry. We'll believe in the Lord Ruler again. He, he gave us food. And Marsh tells him, hey, you, you, you're not going to have to worry about being hungry for long. It's fine. And then he does his uh, his action movie, cool guys don't look at explosions moment. Because as he walks away, the left half of the mountain explodes and magma and ash consume the city. He just puts a pair of sunglasses over his spikes and goes, yep. (laughs) He he, he puts the sunglasses over his spikes and he's like, food was hardly the town's biggest problem. They really need to get their priorities straight. (laughs) Oh, what a dick. Yeah, he's not the nicest. Well, not, not when he's not in control, I guess. He's, he's nicer when he's in control. Well, he was, Marsh. He's still like kind of a blunt, abrasive dude when even when he's just his regular self. But yeah, you know, he has his reasons blunt for that. And abrasive. There's, there's blunt and abrasive, and there's let this whole town get blown up by a volcano. And then make a sarcastic comment about it on yeah. the way out. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, 
gosh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yes. So is this ruin setting off the volcanoes? Was I right all along? And people are creating volcanoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the volcano was already there. He's just making use of what uh, was what was there for him. Ruin I want to kill off. a bunch of people. I'll just set off this thing. Yeah. Uh, ruin. What a jerk. So basically, at this point, you don't want to be living next to any of those volcanoes. Who knows when any of the other ones are going to blow up? There's like one, two, three, four, five. There's like five, six more in the final empire. Uh, okay, so the next, the, the final, I think, uh, epigraph of this section. <laughs> the the epigraph writer's like, I wish I didn't know as much about hemallergy as I do at this point, because it's kind of messed up. To ruin, power must have an inordinately high cost. Using it must be attractive, and yet it must sow chaos and destruction through its use. So that's nice. You, you, you can see why this is Ruin's art. And then we cut to Spook and Breeze, who are uh, hanging out in Erto. And Breeze is going to try to subtly listen into some conversations and maybe drop a little, uh, some information here and there to manipulate people in the city. And Spook's going to leave him at this bar. Or we know they don't really have bars, I guess. It's the equivalent. He's going to go in and sit on the floor or whatever, like Spook had to that last time. Or on a box. I think there were boxes. And Spook's like, yeah, I'm going to go to a, the poorer section of town. There's some things I got to do. And Breeze is like, oh, hey, no, poor people. That's They're they're more likely to talk than uh, richer people. Maybe I should go with you. And Spook's like, no, 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 no. You, you stay here. You kind of stand out. And like Breeze is like, I'm wearing these dreadful clothes, aren't I? And Spook's like, yeah, but you have a bearing. And you don't have that much ash on you. And like Breeze is like, hey, you... I was infiltrating the lower ranks before you were born. And then Spook's like, okay, fine. Let me put some ash on you. And Breeze's like, never mind. Just go. <laughs> Forget about that's it. A, that's a line. <laughs> yeah, there's th- there's some things that Breeze won't do for infiltration. And you found the line. Rubbing myself in dirt? Yeah, not doing that. Which is silly, because, I mean, your entire life, everything covered with ash. I don't feel like that you're going to be squeamish about that at this point. But it is Breeze, so who knows? Yeah. I guess there's a difference between being just sort of covered in ash because it's everywhere and then deliberately rubbing it into your hair and your face. And... Yeah. Yeah, okay, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what Spook is really doing is he's going to find Dern, one of the leading figures in the Erto underworld and the guy that we have met previously. Part informant, part beggar lord. And so, yeah, he, he walks up to the, the, the place where Dern hangs out, kicks down the door, basically. Wait, wait, wait. Back up, back up. Okay. Wait, wait. You're skipping over the part where fake Kelsier says, yeah, I never really liked Breeze. I'm like, yeah, dead giveaway. Kelsier loved Breeze. This, yeah. That's not Kelsier. That's not cool. That's true. Yeah, I, I'd kind of forgotten about that, too. Yeah, he's, he's Kelsier yeah. whispers, I never did like him. Yeah, definitely not not a Kelsey thing yeah, to not- say. And then when, when he gets to the guards, what does Kelsey say again? Might need to kill these guys. Oh, this sounds familiar. Yeah, sure does. But at least Spook is not... Uh, is not totally down with whatever Kelsey are saying because fake Kelsey or whatever, or maybe real Kelsey. I, I, I'm just going with what you guys said about fake. I mean, Kelsier. neither was Zane, but yeah, I mean, you know, he wasn't down to kill everybody. That's true. And neither was Marsh early on. Marsh never seemed to have a whole lot of choice in the matter. No, but he was an inquisitor before, like he still That's was true. on their side. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of really since Ruin got released that it's been, I guess, harder to resist those urges but the inquisitors like were 
were batshit crazy at the end of book one. Marsh wasn't there yet, but he was also the most recently converted. So, right, right. You know, maybe it just takes a bit of time. You've you've still got that. You're mostly you with just this influence, and then over time, you become mostly ruin mm. with just yourself, a little bit of yourself left. Yeah, we still don't really know how long Zane had that spike in him. So, mm. yeah. And Marsh was at least a, a pawn throughout book two, like deliberately luring says to the conventicle. So, yep. And that was only like a year or so after the previous book. So it didn't take long to turn him into a pawn, apparently. It also might depend on how many spikes you got through. Like the more spikes mm. gives Ruin more control because Zane only had the one. Spook only had the one. So Inquisitors definitely have more than these guys. You're not wrong. Yeah. So yeah, if that's a factor, then that's going to be really relevant here. So yeah, Spook breaks in. Dern's playing cards, I guess, with three other guys. And uh, Spook's like, hey, you guys get out. And Dern's like, yeah, it's okay. Go, go ahead. And uh, Dern's like, yeah, man, that's a heck of an entrance there. And Spook's like, hey, you've been talking about me. Why? How did you know who I was and why have you been using my name? <laughs> and Dern's just like, seriously, did you really think you were that anonymous? You're one of the Survivor's friends. You spend half your time living in the Emperor's palace. Do you, you think people don't know who you are? Which that's not good for a spy. Uh, that's unfortunate. And then... Dern's like, also, you know, you're Tenai, you show up in town spying around and have a seemingly endless supply of money. Like, it didn't take long to figure out uh, what was going on. And also, you know, the weirdness with your eyes. Everyone knows strange things happen around the Survivor's crew. I think that's unfair. I'm not sure who else in the Survivor's crew strange things have happened around, unless you count Vin, which, you know. I was going to say, probably Vin is your really only indicator there. Yeah, this guy's really talking out of his ass. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong about a, a lot of things, but yeah, like last one is a bit of a stretch. Unless the rumors have just sort of conflated everyone in the crew yeah. with the weirdness. Human, yeah, human would listen to Dern and be like, you human think you brain so big, you so smart. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. For all we know, Spook may be starting, or like the cause of rumors about weird stuff happening around the Survivor's crew. It's like, look, he was in the Survivor's crew, and he's got some weird shit happening with his eyes. I bet they're all weird. And I like the note that Dern was having a practice game with marked cards to make sure his men could read them correctly. That was a nice touch. I like that. Yeah. I've got a deck of marked cards around here somewhere I've never used. They, the uh, the Name of the Wind did a Kickstarter for decks of cards, and one of them was like a marked deck. So I bought oh. the decks, and I bought that one too, but I've never actually like opened it and looked. Interesting. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, Spook's like, you still haven't told me why you're spreading rumors about me. And Dern's like, well, okay, you were supposed to be dead, so I figured I could, you know, use, you know, because people love the Survivor. And so if word gets out that Quellian's killing the Survivor's own crew, then maybe people wouldn't be so happy about that. You're supposed to be dead, and you're not, and used to hang out with the Survivor. So you're like Survivor Junior. (laughs) (laughs) Survivor 2, Electric Boogaloo. So apparently the underground in the city is very unhappy about the citizen, which once he starts explaining it, you're like, no, I get that. Like smugglers can't sell anything cool because nobody, everyone's scared to buy nice stuff, afraid that the citizen's going to have you executed for being noble. And so uh, Dern's basically like, look, hey, if you and your friends, who I know for a fact are staying in the old ministry building, by the way, if you're going to try to overthrow Quellian, then we're on board. And he directs him to Breeze. He's like, there's a guy over here. Go talk to him. 
don't tell him anything about me. So he's he's trying hard to keep his uh, circumstances on the QT from the crew. Mm. Mm. Also, he really just kind of leaves Dern alone really easily. It's like Dern, Dern says, all right, yeah, like, you know, we'll back you guys up. And and Spook's just like, okay, and leaves. It's yeah. One fa- face value. I still don't think he's a very good judge of character, old Spook. <laughs> no. <laughs> At least it's not a pretty girl. He, he can't uh, judge anything when there's a pretty girl around. So Interesting to hear uh, fake Kelsey's voice when he's next around a pretty girl. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. What are you doing? Pay attention, Spook. Damn it. This is not the time. <laughs> but yeah, Kelsier shows up again after he leaves Dern. And he's like, you got to kill Quillian soon, man. He's sending assassins for your friends. And then yeah, Kelsier is going to find your friends, not our friends. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, he never really liked Breeze, apparently. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again, it's another like he would not say your friends. Yeah. But and yeah. He was still buddy buddy with Saze, and Saze is Saze is still there. So, yeah, Kelsier loves Saze. Yeah, they were bros. But he he throws out an interesting little tidbit here, where he's like, "Hey, Quellian's an unstable man. Don't wait too long. You don't want to find out how irrational he can be." So, Kelsier at least is claiming to know Quellian pretty well. Well, my my theory on that is just if he's ruined, he's gonna know all Quellian's plans as Quellian speaks them aloud. So he's going to know everything about Quellian anytime mm. Quellian speaks. That's true. Yeah, that would be true. Yeah. And then one of Dern's men catches up with him. And Spook's like, what, does Dern want something? And he's like, no, I I need your help. My sister got taken by the citizen. Our father was a nobleman, and Dern hid me, but she got sold out by the woman I left her with. Which, ouch, that sucks. She's only seven, and he's going to burn her in a few days. So... I had a whole rush of thoughts in this paragraph. As soon as the guy said, my sister, and I thought, my meat thought was, for fuck's sake, not another girl for Spook to obsess over. <laughs> and then it gets to, she's only seven. I thought, okay, putting that one to bed. Yeah, yeah. hopefully that's not an issue in this case. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't, don't want that. I was sort of concerned that his sister might have actually been like Beldry or something. I was like, oh, no. Please don't tell us he's going to go and rescue the sister. And it turns out it's the girl he's been pining for. So yeah. fortunately, it's not that either. Unless Beldry See, happens to be seven. Yeah. That would be quite a turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the pedophile. That Did I not mention shit. that she was seven? <laughs> Just, oh. God, yes, no. Luke, I know I know you have some, some issues, but man, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, this is not good. It's definitely not good. Uh, but Spook agrees to help. And he's like, he asked the guy if he can gather 10 men for some late night work. And the guy's like, oh, to, to save my sister? And he's like, no, this is the payment for me saving your sister. And we start tonight. So what do you think that's about? No idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mysterious. Okay, good. Uh, I'm patching a plan about them. It's probably not well thought through. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm knowing at, Spook. <laughs> I'm apathetic at this point. Completely apathetic. You're like, I don't care what Spook's doing. Okay, so we can get into... By the way, when you guys read this next epigra- uh, epigraph, it's uh, a bunch more interesting information about heme allergies, so be ready for that. Cool. Um, and just, I guess, while I'm on the subject, why not? For next week, we are going to read chapters 36, 37, 38, and 39. So, Did you say it next- right this time? 
I did. There are four chapters, and that's those are the four. Those chapters. are them, huh? So let's get into predigments. What kind of predigging do you all have for this week? Um, I don't. I say this every week. I don't have a lot more predigging at this point, but I think still looking at some of the earlier stuff that I was talking about. So like Spook, I'm I'm definitely worried about about him and where he's going. Ruins, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's Ruin's voice. Ruin and Spook's interests seem to be aligned at the moment, you know, in terms of getting rid of, of Quellian. So I feel like while they're still working towards a common goal, it's not going to, no one's going to pick up anything at this point. And especially Spook's going to a whole bunch of extra effort to make sure that no one else knows about his extra power, which is a bit terrifying. We know from, from last week's chapters that Sazed is sort of on to something, going something's not right, but he doesn't know what it is yet. So I think Sazed will be the one to figure it out, but I think it's still going to be some time before we get there. What happens when Ruin's interests no longer align with the crews in this particular matter? I don't really know. Um, oh, I don't really know how long that's going to take either, but I think that'll be a bit scary once we do actually get there. I think it's really interesting to look at how like Yeoman and Quellian have kind of gone, we need to establish what the people need. And you've got one that's sort of heavily a noble society and one that's mostly Scar and how different they've ended up in going, you know, we need to keep it how it was or make it better. And they've just ended up with two totally different societies, which I think is really interesting. I, I, I don't know that Yeoman and Ellen will ever see eye to eye. I think they'll probably see eye to eye, but Yeoman, I think he's too proud to actually have any sort of alignment with Ellen. So I don't think that situation is going to go particularly well. I think they run the risk at the moment of if they try and, and do a siege, they've got a whole bunch of resources that they don't know about. They don't actually know what's there. So how long can they actually survive without having any you know, import or export? how long can they sort of sustain their, their normal way of being? And I just don't know that that's the best use of time for Ellen to be just waiting it out for them to see how long they can mm. be with. So I don't know that we're going to have a siege like we had last book. Like we might for a little while, but I don't know that it's going to get to that point where they're so totally desperate that they're going to go, yeah, okay, we need to align our interests. And I just don't think Yeoman is that type of person. And we've still got Hoyd somewhere in the city. So... It'll be interesting to see if he shows back up. For them going into the ball in two weeks' time, if they actually go, they're going to be ready for them this time. It wouldn't surprise me if they had some alamances or, I don't know, maybe maybe a Mistborn of their own somewhere with so many nobles. It, it wouldn't shock me. So maybe yeah. there's a bit of a, um, a conflict there, but I don't think it's going to be as simple as them having another dance. And the fact that they've had such a nice moment in this chapter makes me really worried that something really bad is going to happen. <laughs> Only <laughs> one nice moment allowed. Yeah, you've had your nice time. Now it's war. Um, yeah, I mean, Ten soon. I hope that he sort of lines up with, with. I hope he lines up with Vin soon. But I have a feeling he's probably going to line up with maybe other crew members soon or sooner. And maybe it'll come to light that yeah, the Vin's wolfhound was in fact the Cardrol along. So because I still think they don't know that. Yeah, I don't um, think anyone does unless she's told them and we just didn't see it. Yeah, but and I mean he's he's gone so. You know, no one's expecting to find him again uh, at this point. But, yeah, I was really 
I'm sort of happy with the the epigraphs this week, talking a little bit more about each of the um, metal magic powers. I'd had a thought that maybe with Allomancy, like maybe there's a finite amount of Allomancy. Like if you, I don't really know how to word it properly, but they're talking about being able to transfer power. And it was interesting that it started talking about the like the loss of power in hemology mm-hmm. when you're transferring powers from one to the other. Because I was like, maybe, you know, you started out with how many beads of that metal that made uh, made Mistborn, you know, as you are having children and, and they become Mistings and sort of the, the further away you get from that line, the weaker they are. Is there a finite amount of allomancy and is hemology trying to put them all back together mm. for, you know, just sort of bringing that more powerful I guess, concentrated power back into one being possibly. So I was actually really interested by the the loss of power in the transfer if you weren't, it wasn't being delivered straight through. It explains why you've got, you know, preferably someone, you're driving the stake through two people. Talking about that too, Spook is possibly going to be really powerful because it was instant. The person died straight in front of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think he's going to be super scary. And I think if he finds out that's how he got his power and ruins ruins all about creating more <laughs> more people and, and like inquisitors and things like that. So maybe maybe we end up with Spook with a few more powers as well. Mm. Gonna go around is, serial killing some people. Yeah. I mean the first one was de- well, the first one looks like it was by accident, mm-hmm. but maybe it wasn't. Who knows how much that's a, heck, a heck of an accident, have. yeah. If it was just completely coincidence, like wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it'd be interesting. But anyway, that's that's pretty much all my thoughts of this week. I don't I don't know if, if it's actually come up before, but the three magic systems are collectively known as the metallic arts. Just it probably has. I just am not one with the words, <laughs> um, and my memory is terrible. So, <laughs> but you got an interesting point about Tensoon, like probably finding someone else on the crew first because he would have no way of knowing where Vin is at this point. Like he doesn't know anything right. that's happened since he left before. They even found the Well of Ascension in the last book, so he's out of the loop. It okay, Jamie. Human not one with words either. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, human. (laughs) Not a role model. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) Could be a very important role model for other Coloss. You don't know. Uh, But you also have a good point about, like, Alan may not have time to carry out a siege on Fatrick City. We now see, like volcanoes exploding and shit mm. uh the world may not have that long left no that's it and if if the people of fadrick city have got all these resources that they know about already okay one if they know about that how do they know about that is that because yeoman was an obligator who did know about that mm. or was it only inquisitors that knew about that like how do they how do they get in because it sounds like you need a pretty strong alimantic ability to be able to find and and open Yep. these caverns so i mean that would indicate that they've probably got someone who already knows because set certainly didn't know about it no. when he was in control so if they've got someone there who does know there's more more um i guess more to fear from the people of Fadrek's city as well and then yeah if they've got enough resources and they're not close enough to a volcano well then they're kind of like well we're set we actually yep. why would we give up all of these resources to help everybody else when we don't want to align with you and we don't argue with you like they could they could be in a siege for years and years and years to come which they definitely don't have time for so 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, them having opened the cache and having all access to all the food and everything in there, that's a game changer for the whole plan that they had going already. So. Yep. Okay, okay. Uh, anybody else want to predict things? Yeah, I predict that stuff in Fadrex is going to blow up bad. Set's going to do something dumb, like just like <laughs> start attacking. And stuff's going to get crazy when they go to that next ball, I think. I can I can see them showing up and thinking their plan's going to work out, and then none of it works out, right? And then there's going to be a fight of some kind. So that's maybe on the Fadrex side. Tenson, I, I mean, I think I, I I predict, and, you know, hopefully I'm wrong. I like Tenson. I predict he won't show back up with Vin until, or with, like, our friends until near the end. He, he's just going to be, like, trying to figure out how to help them, and then all of a sudden he'll be there. Much like Red 13 of Final Fantasy VII Remake, only at the end of the <laughs> game and not, not, play, not a playable character. Yuffie's going to be playable before him. How sad is oh, that? Oh, yeah. That is weird, isn't it? Anyway, moving along. <laughs> I think things in Erto are going to come to a head pretty soon. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing Spook has planned maybe rescuing his sister from... Rescuing the citizen's sister from his mansion or whatever. And quite possibly he wants to try to kill the citizen as well. Because I don't... I think... Uh, this ruin, this possible ruin interference in his brain is probably continuing to tell him to take care of the citizen immediately. And uh, he he has mentioned several times, so why don't we just kill him? So I don't know that that's um, going to work out for Spook, but I think maybe that's what he has planned. And um, other than that, I, I think, um, you know, we're 42% of the way through the book, so yeah. hopefully... Hopefully things will start progressing story-wise, because I do think, I mean, I agree with Jamie, there's no way there's going to be time for uh, for a long siege, so stuff's going to have to start happening pretty quick. Plus, we got all these volcanoes now, right? So uh, <laughs> the end of the world may literally be nigh, so uh, things are going to have to start developing. Mm, yep. Okay. Yeah, that's... Uh... That, that is now a concern. We have all these volcanoes. There's not one super close to Fadrick City, although there's one not too terribly far away also. Uh, there's one pretty close to Erto. Hmm. Anyway, uh, Dak, what do you got for us? Okay, so I'm not convinced there is a little girl that Spook is going to have to go save. Um, I think that, I don't know, the fact the guy, like, you know, there was just one of Dern's card-playing buddies, Spook walks out, and then the guy just chases down after him. I think Dern might be trying to get him to do something else. I feel like, yeah, I, th I think Spook's being led by the nose a bit, uh, and he doesn't realize it. And yeah, I agree with Joe. I think he's going to try and do something about Quellian um, with these ten good men in uh, in response to that. So, but I, I don't know. I, I, I predict a few episodes back that Quellian's not the actual power in Erto. Beldry is, and I still yeah. think I still think that might be the case. I think Quellian's just a figurehead to take eyes off. Um, Beldry, while she, while she does whatever she does in the background, whether she's in contact with the Inquisitors, as we speculated, or she's up to something else, I don't know. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I think between Dern not being entirely honest with Spook, ruinous Kelsey are in his head, Spook is about to make some colossal fuck-ups, and, <laughs> and things are going to go downhill pretty quickly. As for the Fadrex side of things, I'm actually not sure that the storage cache contains Adium. Um, oh. Again, 
I feel like I think I mentioned this um, in the last book. I think the Lord Ruler spent the Adium. He was using yeah, it yeah. to do Talk to do what that. he did. So I feel like he doesn't he doesn't have a cache of it somewhere because he's already spent it. Whatever's in the cache under Fadrex mm. is something else entirely. And the bead of Adium on Yeoman's crown or on his forehead or whatever, I think that was from like that guy that Kelsey released from the pits but way back in book one. He gave him the last geode and said, take this by yourself, like somewhere Ooh. safe. And like, and so Yeoman's wearing it as like, this is the last bit of Adium in the Empire and I have it as a symbol of power. That's that would really tie that back in. You, but you've been looking for that guy to come back ever since he showed up. So uh, well, yeah, again, like he's like that's the last bit of Adium that any like that got dug out of the pits. I feel yeah. like that's got to be significant in some way. So mm. whether or not the guy shows up again is like that may or may not happen. But I feel like that is his bead of Adium um, out of that geode that Yeoman is wearing. So I think that's where that comes into it. Interesting. That would be mm. that would be a whole thing. Yeah, that's. That's a very cool collectible. That's the last beef in the whole empire. Okay. Interesting. Uh, all right. That is our show for today. We do not have any emails to go over. Uh, if anyone wants to send us an email, the email address is thesanderlanch at gmail.com. Also, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the fun social media-ish places. We are there. Say things at us. Mean things, nice things, whatever. Knock yourself out. I want who else is with me on this? I want a sitcom with human and Tenson now. <laughs> like uh, another spinoff yeah. from Venture Brothers. Yeah, exactly. It's like one of the, it's like they could have a crossover episode and that's how that their show spins off. It's like human. It's like uh, <laughs> a coloss who thinks he's human and a chondra who never wanted to be. Man, these two are just out of this world. I think this needs to be this needs to be a a trio. You need to get Marsh in there as well. Yep, yep. Marsh, the the former human. You used to be human, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think I I think I mentioned this like in an earlier episode somewhere. It's like Spiky the dog and the troll. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sounds like a kids book, a really weird kids book. (laughs) There you go, Sanderson. New idea, kids book. Marsh, (laughs) human, and Tenson. Do it up. He wrote a series of books for younger kids through um, what's what's that uh, that publisher that does the kids' homes? Uh, Golden Books. Oh, um, oh, and then I searched for it. That's the stupidest thing I've ever done. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Uh, the the series is called Alcatraz and the Evil Librarians. I just searched for Alcatraz, which obviously yeah, not gonna uh, work for you. Just gonna pull up prison, bro. Uh, yeah, it was originally done by Scholastic. Ah, Scholastic. Oh yeah, them. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's definitely directed at younger at a younger audience than any of his other stuff, but they're still really fun. They're kind of hilariously comedic. Anyway, your your kids book thing made me think of that. But anywho, so okay, leave us messages, send us emails, whatever you want to do, but uh, keep coming back to listen. Uh, for those following along again next week, four more chapters: thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight, and thirty nine. Listen to the next episode, Music by Miracle of Sound, and wasing to the time of next, everyone. As the tiles of steel and stone crumble to dust, the foundations of our hope.